Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 4. You know, I told Brother Clinton, and I struggled with this thing. I said, you'd think when a man preached every night for 20 years like I have, it wouldn't be so hard. He said, son, if it ever gets easy, I don't want to listen to you. Amen. It's, it's a fight, a struggle sometimes for him. Find the will of God. But I, I, you know, I've seen evangelists get down to the last night of a meeting, just put it on cruise control. Thought they had it made. I've never been that kind of a preacher. I want to know the mind of God and the will of God for that service. That's all that really matters. If I miss that, I may miss somebody. And I can't afford to do that. Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 4. It said, Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Terza. Comely as Jerusalem. Terrible. As an army. With banners. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes this morning on the thought, the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Would you love Him with me? Father, we love You this morning. We thank You for the beautiful day, for the time together that we can assemble in Your house. Lord, it's a privilege to be here today. Thank You for those that have made time in their schedule to come to the house of God. Thank You for what You've already done in this meeting last night, Lord. And I pray that You'll come today and work and move in a wonderful way. Lord, I feel Your Spirit hovering down over the house of God. And I pray that You'll come this morning and work and move in a mighty and wonderful way. Let the hand of God be upon this gathering and upon our hearts, Lord. God, inspire us to preach today and anoint them and give them ears to hear what the Spirit saith unto that church this morning. Help us to leave here rejoicing that we've been touched by Your hand. Help us to leave here enriched, God, for we've been spoken to by Your Word. Help us to leave here revived that we may do the work of God. In this last day, oh, God, anoint us with a fresh anointing. Give us that mighty power, and we'll give you praise, honor, and all the glory, for it belongs to you, and we ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. To understand the Song of Solomon, you must understand it is a love story between Christ and his bride. It is illustrated in the life of Solomon and his love affair with the Shulamite maiden. When we look at that, we realize that it must deal with Christ and the church or his bride. In chapter 5 of the Song of Solomon, the Bible tells us that the bride describes the bridegroom. She says there, my beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly shed. His cheeks are as beds of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips are like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings, set with a barrel. His belly is a bright ivory overlaid with sapphire. His legs are as pillars of marble, set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon. Excellent is the cedars. His mouth is the most sweet. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend. That, my friend, was a description of the bride of the bridegroom. She looked at him and saw what he really was. Saw him in his beauty and his splendor and his glory. And she gloried in him. I can tell you Jesus is that bridegroom today and we only glory in him. We only exalt him and 
magnify him and lift up his name today. In this we realize how wonderful he really is. How grand and glorious this Christ is for you and I. He's all of that and more. I like what she said in the end. He is the altogether lovely one. Now notice if she didn't say he's the lovely one, but he's the altogether lovely one. Everything that she wanted, everything she needed, and everything she desired, she found it in that bridegroom. This morning, you and I, as believers, can find everything we need, Brother Kip, in Christ. It's not in some far-out, fancy damn preaching, but it's Christ. It's not in some uh, thing of this world that we're going to find what we need. Everything we need, it's found in Jesus Christ today. She describes him well. But then in chapter 6, we see the role reverse. Now the bride is not describing the bridegroom, but the drop bridegroom is describing the bride. Notice that. It's a reversal of the role. In verse 4 he says here, he said, Thou art beautiful, O my love is hers, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. We find here now that Christ is describing his bride. I believe this morning and we need to look at it again. I believe that if we're going to be his bride, then we've got to understand what he expects out of her. Amen. When you married that wife, you knew what you were getting ahead of time. Because you courted her. You dated her. You took her out. You held her hand. Amen. You knew what she was. And Christ is going to have a bride. And if we're going to be a part of it, then we must understand what he's looking for. He said here three things of her. Number one, she was beautiful. Number two, she was comely. And number three, she was terrible. As an army with banners. The three statement sum up what the bride of Christ ought to be under Jesus Christ. Oh, let me tell you, there's a lot of theology out there this morning, but it doesn't pan out with the Word of God. There's a lot of isms and schisms in our body today, but I tell you, Jesus is coming back for a bride, and I want to be part of that bride, and if I'm going to be part of it, I must know what He requires of me. Here He describes her in very intimate terms. First of all, he says of that bride, she was beautiful as Terza. Now the word Terza means pleasant or well-pleasing. But when you look in the history of this city, it wasn't always pleasant. And it wasn't always well-pleasing. Terza was a Canaanite city of idolatry, sin, and wickedness. It was a place of immorality and ungodliness. A city of wicked imaginations. Oh yes, my friend, it wasn't always a beautiful and a well-pleasing place. But one day a king of Judah came and overtook that city. One day the king of Judah came and liberated that city and set that city free. What a picture that was of my life and your life before we came to Christ. A place of immorality, a place of sin, a place of wickedness, and a place of idolatry totally sold out to that sinful nature. Sold out for that old nature. But one day, the line of the tribe of Judah came by my house. The line of the tribe of Judah entered into my life. Hallelujah. And he captured me. And he delivered me. And he set me free by his mighty power. Woo! 
Oh, hallelujah. Jesus had to bring that deliverance. I had no power, Brother Jerry and myself, to be delivered of sin. I had no power to be delivered of that wickedness that filled my heart. I had no power, Brother Shane, to be set free. It took one greater than me and a greater than Solomon came. And he set me free by his blood and through his mighty power. Terza. Once a wicked Canaanite city filled with wickedness and idolatry. But he said, now, I'm going to type her as a part of that bride. Why? Because she's been delivered out of that old life. And she's got a brand new life in me. Hallelujah. If you would have known me, Brother Junior, before I came to Jesus, you wouldn't have liked me too well. Amen. Oh, no. Listen. At 18, my mom kicked me out of the house. She said, you can't live here anymore. Full of hate and wickedness and vileness. But one day, Jesus passed by. And one day, he made a difference in my heart and in my life. And he'll do the same for you. Everybody that's a part of that bride has been delivered and set free and they're a brand new creation in Christ. Oh, hallelujah. That Canaanite city was vile and so was I, but Christ came to deliver. Notice what he said. First of all, he said it was beautiful as Terza. The word beautiful in Hebrew means shining. Means shining. In the Psalms 149 verse 4, it said he will beautify the meek with salvation. Listen, when Jesus came into my life, he made me shine. Amen. He gave me the beauty of salvation. Oh, listen to me. They're trying to beautify themselves in a million ways today. But if you just love Him, then you're going to be beautiful. Amen. You have to put on the trappings of the world. Christ, Christ and His beauty is more beautiful than all the beauty in this world this morning. Christ made me shine. Christ made me beautiful because salvation came to my heart. In Matthew 5 and 14 He said that you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be Now notice Jesus is preaching that sermon on the mount. He said we are like a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Everybody in that crowd knew what he was talking about. Every Jewish person in that that crowd understood very well what he was saying. He was saying to them a very powerful thing. You see in the land of Israel they had Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a center of worship and man adoration to God. Three times a year all the males within a certain radius of that city had to appear in the temple of God. Amen. So there was a lot of traffic through the land. A lot of pilgrimage was made under that city. But it being a mountainous city area, it was a very harsh place to travel at times. And people would come to the Passover. They would come to the Feast of Tabernacles and the other feast days there. And sometimes they would get caught out after dark. They would be out in that barren wilderness. They would be out somewhere alone. Amen. Oh, it was a dangerous thing to be outside of the city at night in Palestine. Two reasons. The land was filled with robbers, just like we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. There were robbers there, and you didn't want to get caught outside after dark. Second, there were beasts out there that could devour you, and you didn't want to get caught out there after dark with them. And so the Jews were smart. 
They didn't build their cities down in the valley, but they built their cities up on top of the hill. And when a pilgrim was passing through, or a stranger was passing through, amen, if they got caught out after dark, all they had to do was look up to the hills, and he could see the light of the city, and the light would lead him to safety. The light would lead him into that place, a perfect safety. I want to tell you, Jesus said, and I'm the light of the world. I'm like a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. No wonder he said in verse 16, Therefore let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I'm telling you, church, and if we're a part of that bride, we're going to shine. We're going to shine. We're going to shine out for Jesus Christ. We're going to lead men who are in peril of robbers and peril of beasts. We're going to lead them under safety. We're going to lead them out of the darkness into that marvelous light. That's your job. Hello. And it ought to be just as natural for a child of God to shine out in this world as it is for a duck to go barefooted. Hello. He shines through me. No, no, it's not my glory. It's Him in me. <laughs> Woo, come on. It's not me. That's fleshly pride. But it's Him in me. Come on, amen. We must shine for Him. Because all around us is darkness. And all around us are people that are in darkness. And they're in peril of the robber. The thief cometh not but for to steal. And to kill. And to destroy. Oh my God, He's out there. And a roaring light. Walking about seeking whom it may devour. But we can be the light of that world. And we can lead them to Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Second, it means well-pleasing. Well-pleasing. Listen, we no longer live in sin. We no longer live to please ourselves, but we live to please God. We live in a selfish society. Paul warned us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, that in the last days perilous times was going to come, and the very first thing he said was men would be lovers of their own selves. Listen, we see that happen today. If you read that in its context, you'll realize that he was talking about a church. If you want to know what that world's going to be in the end time of the Rufus, you can read Romans chapter 1. But if you want to know what the church is going to be, you can read 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, For men shall be lovers of their own self, covetous, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, Confident, fierce, despiser of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. What's he saying? It's a religious crowd. It's religious people. And he said, that's the way it's going to be in the end time. But there's no place in our lives to be selfish. There's no place in our lives for us to live it our way. It's not I that lives. He preached last night. It has to be Christ that lives in me. Oh, it's time for that bride to forget about herself. I have no rights. I'm a dead man. 
I said, I'm a dead man. I have no rights. Come on, I have no rights. He said, you're dead and your life is hid with God in Christ. When Christ lives in me, then he lives through me. Come on, amen. I must let him live in me. I must let him live through me. I must die to myself. I must die to my will for the night. I must be crucified. Nevertheless, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I'm telling you, sir, the church needs to make Christ alive in this generation. We need to allow him to have his will and his way. Oh, hallelujah. In Colossians 1 and 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. God's looking for His bride and every day that she gets up, she says, God, what do you have me do for you today? Come on. Not what I want to do. Not where I want to go. Not what I want to be. But God, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to be for you? What do you want me to accomplish for you? I'm yours, rock, stock, and barrel. I'm the walk and the all will please Listen, our lives must please Him or we're not going to be a part of that bride. Our lives must come in submission to Christ or we're never going to make it all the way. Third, He said it means pleasant. No longer are we wicked, vile, hateful, or hurtful, but pleasant. Amen. Some of the most hurtful and hateful people I've ever met were religious people. Hello? The most hateful people I've ever met were religious. <laughs> we got some of them in the church of God, folks. <laughs> Hello, assemblies of God got them too. Talk to me this morning. Hateful people. I tell you, God's people aren't hateful people. God's people are pleasant people. God's people are loving people. God's people are kind people. God's people are gracious people. I've seen people that claim Christ, but they had such a hateful spirit, nobody wanted to be around them. No, that wasn't attracting anybody to Christ. It was driving men away. Come on. I tell you, we can become so hateful, so critical, so self-centered, so high and mighty and so self-righteous that nobody wants to be around us. But that's not the bride of Christ. Oh, no. She's pleasant and well-pleasing. Amen. When they come in our churches, how do they feel? Do they feel like that they're in a place that nobody loves them? Do they feel like they're in a place where everybody's looking down their nose at them? They shouldn't, my friend, but they ought to feel welcome there. Oh, yes, they're sinners. I didn't say comfortable. I said welcome. Amen. A sinner should never feel comfortable in the house of God. But he ought to feel welcome. Pleasant. Pleasant. Oh, when they walk in our church, they ought to find the most pleasant atmosphere of anywhere on the face of this earth. Amen. We ought to find some people that love one another and love them. But preacher, they don't dress right, so what? I had a lady in my church I pastored. She's one of them church policemen, you know. I heard her one day. She said, bless God, they come in here in a pair of breeches. I'll get them. I took high blood pressure of the Spirit. 
Hello. I eased up beside of her. I said, sis, you let me take care of that. She got mad. She blew up at me. They ain't coming in here like this, bless God. I said, I'll tell you one thing. If you open your mouth to one of them, I'll turn you out of this church so fast it'll make your head swim. Pleasant. Well-pleasing. Beautiful. Shining. That's what we are. We are the light of the world. We're the only hope they have. If we turn them away, where are they going to find the truth? Hallelujah. That's Jesus' bride. Second, he said she was comely as Jerusalem. The word comely means suitable. Suitable. Suitable as Jerusalem. Suitable as Jerusalem. Oh, I could preach here a while. I don't have time. Jerusalem was the dwelling place of God. In Psalms 48, the Bible called it the city of the great king. It was Jerusalem, sir, that God chose to dwell in. It was Jerusalem, sir, that God chose to come down and set upon the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. It was Jerusalem, sir, that God chose to place His name there. What are you saying, Brother Rodney? I'm saying that you and I have been chosen like Jerusalem and we are to be a suitable for a habitation of God. You see, God wants to live in us like He preached to us last night. You and I, according to Ephesians 2 and 22, are the habitation of God through the Spirit. God wants to live in us. Think of that. The God that created the universe. The God that said the heavens of, the, of heavens cannot contain me. And yet, Brother Lanny, you said, I'm going to live in you. Think of that. I thought about it this morning. In that garden, there was fellowship. One writer said that they walked in fellowship 65 years. Adam and Eve and God. But one day God showed up and Adam had sinned. It brought that fellowship. God no longer came in fellowship with them. But Brother Kip, God still wanted to a man's sin had brought a separation but it hadn't taken away God's desire to walk with a man and so he devised a plan brother Rufus he said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a tabernacle he took Moses up on that mountain and he gave him a pattern for it and 17 times he said see that you build it according to the pattern that I showed you in the mount amen it took nine months to build that thing the gestation period of the human being after nine months the tabernacle was completed and then God again came down in fire and smoke oh yeah and he literally dwelt among men God moved back in in that wilderness He's tabernacling with them. But the old listen, Israel sinned again. And the temple and the tabernacle were destroyed. But he had another personage. And that was his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible said in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, that he might redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You know what it was? It was God's same desire to dwell with his people. In the, in the book of First John chapter 1, it said he came into his own and his own received him not, but to as many as received it, unto them gave it power to become 
the sons of God, even unto them that believe on His name. Oh yes, in verse 14 there, the Bible talks about it. And He said that, that we, uh, we beheld His glory as the Lord, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible said that it dwells among us and we beheld His glory. The word dwell there means tabernacle. Now notice, God dwelled among Israel in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now God is dwelling among His people through Jesus Christ. He tabernacled among us. He was with us, but He was limited in His power. He was limited in, in that He could not be at every place at the same time in the physical body. So He said, it's necessary or expedient for you and I go away. But if I go not away, the Comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. And He left and He went to the Father. You know how I know He made it? The Bible said in Acts 2 and 33, and He, Jesus, being by the right hand of God, exalted, having received with the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, has said so this abroad, which you now see and hear. And when the Holy Ghost came, I have the assurance, Brother Clinton, that Jesus made it to the right hand of the Father. I have the assurance that He was raised from the dead. I have the assurance that I have a mediator and a high priest that's praying for me in the presence of God. Oh, yes. But he said, it's needful, necessary, expedient that I go away. I can't be everywhere at the same time. I can't live in everybody's house at the same time in a physical body. But, oh, there's one who can. And when I leave, I'm sending you the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is not going to dwell among you. But the Bible said, He shall be with you, and He shall be in you. Oh, notice God's perfect fulfillment. His real desire was to live in inside of us. Not with us, but in us. God help us today to realize that the Holy Ghost wants to live in us. He wants to control us and motivate us and anoint us and send us and use us. Oh yes, we must allow our bodies to become the temple of the Holy Ghost. Then where we go, He goes. And we don't have to do it in our power. You ever seen this crowd? They advertise healing meetings. Come on Friday night, going to have a healing meeting. That's Tommy Wright. What made him think that the Holy Ghost is going to heal on Friday and not on Thursday? Holy Ghost heals when he gets ready. Can't heal nobody. Brother Larry, I don't have the power. Neither do you. I don't have no power, Brother Rodney, to cast out no devils. Hello, neither do you. What is that power? It's the Holy Ghost living in me. When I lay my hands on them, it's God laying His hands on them through me. Amen. That's right. It's not me doing it. It's God through me doing it. Because I don't have any power. Oh, people, you know, they run around. I got the gifts of the Spirit. They treat it like his pocket knife I got in my pocket. They just drag him out and use him when they want to. You don't use the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost uses you. Hello? We got them now. You know, let's all stand up and talk in our prayer language. Tommy Rod. 
What makes you think the Holy Ghost wants to talk right then? Hmm? Hello? No, no. Don't work that way, folks. Holy Ghost lives in me. And He controls me. I don't control Him. Amen. Oh yes, He's subject to me. I can quench Him. I can grieve Him. I can turn Him aside. I can do all kinds of things. But if I let Him do what He wants, then He'll do it. If I let Him, then He'll shine through me. If I let Him, He'll anoint me. If I let Him, He'll work through me. If I let Him, He'll heal through me. If I let Him, He'll touch through me. Amen. We must allow God through the Holy Ghost to abide within us, dwell within us. He's not dwelling among us anymore. He wants to dwell inside of us. And doing that, He takes up residence in me and works through me. That's the bride. That's the bride. He's working through me through the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. First John 4 and 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us. This is the clincher. This is how you could know that you dwell in Him and He in us. It, because He hath given us of His Spirit. Amen. Oh, I got news for you. Brother Clinton said it. I'll say it again. He's not coming back for anything less than he left. I believe that. I said, I believe that. Brother Calvin, he left the Pentecostal church full of the Holy Ghost and fire, and he's coming back for the same thing. Woo! I said, he's coming back for that same thing. He's not coming back for anything less. We know that he is in us and we're in him. How? Because I've been baptized in the Spirit of God. Come on! I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. He doesn't dwell among me. He dwells in there. He shall be with you. And He shall be in you. Now I know I'm in Him because He's in me. Amen. Oh, i got to hurry. Second, it was a city compacted together. In Psalms 122, verse 3, it said, Jerusalem is built as a city that is compacted together. The word compacted here means joined together, bound together, or closely knit. I can preach here a while now. The true bride of Christ is a bride of unity. Amen. I'm not talking about an ecumenical unity where everybody gets together and throws their doctrine out the window, but I'm talking about a unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul said to the Ephesians in 4 and 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word endeavoring there means to do everything within your power. We got too many divisions in the church. We got too much disunity of the body. God never intended His bride to be a disunified, disrupted body. No, sir, the devil is in the disruption business. God is in the unity business. He said in Psalms how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He said it's like the water. The anointing that flowed down upon Aaron, his beard, and the skirts of his garment. Listen, when we come together and we're bound together with one cause and one purpose and one heart and one mind, when we're in the unity of the Spirit of God, it will bring the anointing. And when the anointing comes, the yoke will be destroyed. Think of that now. I want to tell you right there. Oh my God, I felt the Holy Ghost stop me. Hey, he said the anointing destroys the yoke. Listen to me. If you break a yoke, then you can put it back together. Come on. If you break a yoke, you can put it back together. Hello. 
But if you destroy it, you can't ever use it against you anymore. Let me tell you something. That God wants you and I to be so full of the Holy Ghost and so unified together in the power of the Spirit that when they walk in the door, every yoke will not be broken, but destroyed, and they will be delivered. Come on. You know why we see very little deliverance today? Is we see very little unity of the body. and the glory of God's going to come and the yoke is going to be destroyed. Oh, I wish I had time to preach. John 17, Jesus prayed for the unity of that body. That they might even be one even as we are one. The result of that is said that the world might believe. You know why we see very few conversions? Because we're not together in unity. He said if we're one as they were one, the world would believe. Oh, church, I beg you this morning, let's gather together. Let's get in one mind with one accord and allow God to work in us in this last day. Oh, hallelujah. Third, it was a city of praise and worship. Psalms 48 and 1 said, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God and in the mountain of His holiness. Listen, our God is a great God. I said, our God is a great God, and He's worthy to be praised. If there's one thing that bothers me in places I go, is the lack of worship of this great God that we serve today. There was a day when you walked in a pit Pentecostal church. You could hear them before you ever got there. While wow, they were praying and they were loving and they were worshiping God, Sister Sandra. Oh yes, they came with one purpose. That was to glorify their God. You could hear my half a mile away. What happened to us? I'll tell you our God is just as great today as He's ever been. He's just as powerful as He's ever been. He's just as mighty as He's ever been. And we ought to praise Him. And we ought to love him from our heart. Great is the Lord greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the mountain of his holiness. We as a church must praise and worship the Lord and we must worship him in the beauty of holiness. When we come together it should be to love, honor and worship him. Listen, worship is top priority to a child of God. That's very well illustrated in that in the garden in the beginning. I've shared this with you and in revival here, but I'm going to share for those that didn't hear. In the beginning, when worship, when Adam and Eve were formed, when were they formed? They were formed on the sixth day in the evening. Now in that time, time was reckoned from evening, sundown to sundown, evening to evening. He was born, He was created, He was formed and breathed in in the afternoon and the evening part of the sixth day. Amen. The seventh day was the day, the Sabbath of rest. So He was born, He was created, He was infused with power, He was given life. Where? At the end of the sixth day. The first day of man on the earth was God's seventh day. 
and it was a day of rest and worship. So man's first day was a day of rest and worship of their Creator, of their Creator. And that's exactly how God intended it to be. Worship ought to be first in our lives. Worship ought to be top priority. Worship ought to have first place in our hearts when we come together. He said we're to enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. We're to be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Oh yes, oh church, we must worship Him for He is worthy to be praised. First, all the business of man was to worship their Creator. But sin came into that garden and broke that fellowship. The law came. The law said six days shall a man work and the seventh day shall be a Sabbath of rest unto them. Notice the reversal. Now man doesn't worship first. He works first. Six days he has to work and the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest or worship unto him. The reversal is there. Under that law, sir, you have to work before you can worship. Under the law, you have to work before you can worship. But in that New Testament, God reverted back to pattern. In that New Testament, God reverted back to the original intent of God. In the Bible, Jesus died and he rose again when on the first day of the week. The New Testament church gathered together when on the first day of the week. The first priority of the church in the New Testament was to gather together and worship God. It ought to be that way in this church today. Our intention ought to be to gather together to worship Him. Amen. Are you living under the law or are you living under grace? If you live under the law, then you work six days and you worship on the seventh. And if you live under that law, when you come to church, amen, you're going to worship according to how your work week went. Amen. If everything went pretty good, you might just raise your hand. Woo! I have seen a few of them get a half mask. You know why? It's hard for some of you to praise God when you come here because you act like you're living under the law. You let your circumstances, you let your problems, you let your burdens and your heartaches dictate to you how you worship your God. That is law. That is law. But in the New Testament economy, we worship God first. And then we work. <laughs> so, amen, we don't worship according to how our week has been. But we worship first. And our week always goes better. The church must come to that. And again, we worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm not talking about fleshly extravagance. I hate it. I'm sick of this charismatic mess. Oh, I'm sick to my guts in it. I can't hardly stand it. I'm tired of working something up. You don't work nothing up, you pray something down. Amen. He said last night, God ain't over there, over there. He's in here. 
Hello. If I pray and commune with Him and worship Him and fellowship with Him, when I come to this place, I've got a right to praise Him. I've got a right to worship Him and adore Him. I must worship Him first. Everything else will fall in place after that. It was to be a place of worship. Psalm 33 and 1, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. 47 and 1, He said, Praise you the Lord, for it is a good thing to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant and praise is comely. Praise is suitable to the child of the living God. Praise is suitable to the house of God. And when they glide by on the road, they ought to hear you and I loving and praising God. Amen. Now notice. He's likened that bride to Terza. This speaks of our redemption and our new life in Christ. She was saved from the hand of the enemy. And now is a shining light for Jesus Christ. That's us, folks. We've been saved, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Colossians 1 and 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. Jerusalem, this speaks of her lifestyle or her behavior. First she spoke of redemption through Terza. And now Jerusalem speaks of her lifestyle or behavior. The church, the bride, is to walk in unity, purity, and praise. Unity, purity, praise. Hello? If we don't do that, then we're not what God wants us to be. How when the redeemed are pleasant, well-pleasing, shining forth to the lost, dwelling together in unity, praising and worshiping God, then she becomes. Listening? Are you listening? Then she becomes as terrible as an army with banners. Let me say it again. When the redeemed are pleasant, well-pleasing, shining forth, dwelling together in unity, praising and worshiping God, then she becomes terrible as an army with banners. That ought to make you shout. Amen. The word terrible here means frightening. Do you understand that? Jesus said that His bride ought to be frightening. <laughs> oh, honey. We can't hardly scare nobody, can we? Frightening. We should so live and march and fight together that the devil and his crowd will fear and tremble. At the presence of that church. Uh-huh. I said the devil's crowd will fear and tremble at the church. Amen. When the New Testament church entered the town, hell shook and trembled 
at the presence of that church. In Acts we read that they that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. What was he saying? The church has arrived and was scared to death. Why? Because that early church went to a city to take back what the enemy had stolen away. She went in there to do battle. She went in there to do warfare. She went in there to recover what the devil had stolen away. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Let me ask you, preachers, does the devil fear and tremble at your church? Or does he yawn and go ho-hum? No problem. Hello? All around your church, mister, are thousands and thousands of people that the enemy has taken captive. All around our churches are many hundreds and thousands of people that are away from God, have no hope of eternity, but hell for eternity. Hear me, sir. You and I are to be that army. Terrible. Fighting to the devil. God's looking for an army called the church to invade the devil's territory and take back what he has stolen from them. Amen. Listen. He said this army is to be as frightening or terrible as an army with banners. That word banners signifies many things. I must hurry to a close here, but what does it mean by banners? First, banners show distinction. Every army or tribe within an army had a banner. This banner distinguished to the enemy which army they were fighting. Oh, listen. God has an army and they march under a banner too. We find that banner in the Song of Solomon 2 and 4. The Bible said he brought me into the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. All the church today must get under the banner of love. We must be filled with the love of God. It must flow through us like a river. We must love one another with a pure heart for being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. And liveth and abideth forever. We must come under the banner of His love. We are identified by it. Second, a banner will point a rallying. When the army was assembled, they assembled around the banner of that army. There's only one focal point in the church. It's not a preacher. It's not an evangelist. It's not a deacon. It's not an elder. It's Christ. He is our rallying point. Amen. If we gather around any other thing, then we're going to fail. If we gather around any other point, we're going to be defeated. Christ is our rallying point. Christ must be the center of attraction. It's not a giveaway. It's not a, t- a Sunday dinner. It's not a dinner on the ground. It's not even a gospel thing. It's Christ that has to be center in the church. It's Christ that must take the forefront. We must gather around His banner. Third, the banner demanded discipline. The army was trained to stay close to the banner. Why? Because if they ever became divided and split up, they became easy prey for the enemy. That's the reason we need need to stay around Christ. And we need to stay together in unity. Because together we can stand, but divided we fall. I learned a principle recently. It just thrilled my heart. That's reading. He said one 
shall put a thousand to flight, but two, ten thousand. I shouted about that a lot of times. So have you. I saw something in that recently I never saw before. One shall put a thousand to flight, but two, ten thousand. What's he saying there? He said, unity doesn't add power. Unity multiplies it. They're down on the ground because they don't want nobody to know who they are. They're scared to death of the devil. If he says boo, they nearly have a heart attack. They haven't done anything against his kingdom in so long they forgot how to do it. Amen. Well, I must preach. (laughs) We must continually wage war under the banner of love against that devil. We must fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life. We must wrestle against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. Continually. We're in a warfare. Then notice the word banners is plural. It means two things. Number one, it means there was plenty to help in the war. You see, every regiment had its own banner, and every army had its banner. So when an army marched, they had the main banner, then they had all the regiments had a banner, so there were plenty of banners. That leads me to believe that when that church, when that bride goes out to battle, then there ought to be plenty of folks fighting. Do you know what I found? I found over the years it's not the case. I found that in most churches today, the people that really fight are just a handful. The people that really are doing the work of God are just a handful. Of the people that are really faithful, the people that really fast and really pray, the people that fill the church on in the morning at five o'clock, six o'clock, six thirty, whenever, just a handful. Hello, the bride in that bride, Brother Rodney. Everybody fights. I said, in that bride, everybody fights. It's not left to a few to do it all, but everybody must become participators in this battle against the kingdom of darkness. Amen. Each, each army had them, each regiment had them, this meant there was more than one fighting in the battle. The whole church must fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Devil in this battle is not for a few, but for everybody. She said, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. That means me and that means you. Amen. Second, it means that they were victorious. When an army was defeated, their banner was taken as a trophy to the overcoming army. Did you hear me? I said when an army was defeated, its banner was taken as a prize to the overcoming army. He said, my church is terrible as an army with banners implied that they had won many, many Victories. <laughs> Hallelujah. The more banners they had, the more victories they won. How many do we have? I didn't have to ask that, did I? But I did. Jesus is coming back for a church that has been victorious in the battles of life. I said He's coming back for church. That's been victorious in the battles of life. 
We must have some banners to produce when Jesus returns. Listen close now. Every battle in which we engage is a chance for us to take a banner from the enemy. Oh, I've never seen such pitiful, weak, anemic, dead, lifeless, sissified Christians in my life. I'll tell you, they fuss about everything. I heard Brother Branko preach years and years ago. said he was in a church. and had the youth pastor come in. So got mad, threw his book down on the desk of the pastor, said, I'm quitting. He said, you're quitting? He said, I'm quitting. What are you quitting for? He said, I've got copier ink all over my fingernails. Dummy. We're so sissified. Come on. We, we dread to get up in the morning sometime. Afraid what the devil's gonna do to us. Honey, I'm telling you, when you get out of bed in the morning, you shouldn't be afraid of what the devil's gonna do to you. He ought to be afraid of what you're gonna do to him. Come on. Listen. Every battle in which we engage is a chance for us to take a battle from the enemy. It's an opportunity to win. Oh, Pastor, pray for me. I don't think I can stand it. You probably can't. You probably can't. Wake up. Get in the altar. Pray. Get a hold of God. Get full of the Holy Ghost. And you can stand. Oh, Lord, we must look at all opposition, all conflict, all persecution, and all attacks of the enemy as an opportunity for victory. Honey, I'm not defeated. I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me and gave himself for me. I can overcome. It's not a chance of defeat. It's an opportunity for victory. And the trial you go through is an opportunity for victory. And the problem you face is an opportunity for victory. Every situation that you enter into is an opportunity for victory. We must win every battle. Victory is possible. Every battle. Every one of them. How do I know that, preacher? I'm closing, but how do I know that? How do I know that, Brother Clinton? Victory is possible in every single battle. How do I know that? Song of Solomon 2 and 4. He brought me to the banquet in the house. And his banner over me was love. You know when an army entered a banqueting house after the victory had been won. <laughs> it was a celebration, wasn't it, Brother Clinton? They entered into that banquet house at the end of the battle. Come on. But you read the Song of Solomon closely and you find something, Brother Calvin. You find that he didn't take that bride to the banqueting house at the end of the battle. He took her there before the battle had ever begun. Why? Because if she stood faithful and true to him, she would have been assured of certain victory. I'm telling you, sir, that if you stay faithful to Christ, full of the Holy Ghost and the fire of God, we are assured that victory We'll be ours. You didn't hear me. We can be.
victorious in everyone. I'm closing with this. It's when we be, have been lazy or lacked holy zeal in following and obeying the Lord that the devil has an advantage over us. It is then that he brings accusations which cast us down and thus render us an easier mark for his darts and attacks. It's when you get complacent. It's when you don't pray. It's when you don't fellowship with Him. It's when you don't worship Him. It's when you don't let your light shine. It's when you don't stand together in unity. And we become vulnerable to His attacks. But to that one who is ever filled with devotion and abandonment to God. And whoever follows hard after Him. To that one who has become expert in using the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The enemy can find no opening in his army through which to send the fatal blow. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying hold on and be faithful unto God. Be full of the Holy Ghost and the fire of God. Keep the shield of faith in place. The devil will they never be able to deal to you that fatal blow. But you will overcome and you will be victorious and you will answer and hurry unto the joy of my Lord. Oh, church, we can make it. Stand to your feet. Oh Lord, we love you this morning. We praise you today. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and mercy to us. Thank you for delivering us out of sin. Thank you for bringing us out of immorality and darkness and ungodliness. Thank you, Lord, for placing in us your love, your presence, and your spirit. Thank you for allowing us to be a light in this world. Oh, let that light ever shine brighter and brighter and brighter for God. Oh, let us be the light of the world, the city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid, God. Oh, Jesus, let us be present and well-pleasing to the Lord. Let us be comely as Jerusalem. Oh, let us be the dwelling place of God. Let us come together in unity of the Spirit. Oh, Lord, let us praise and worship and glorify your name that we might become an army terrible with banners. God, let us win every victory. Let us overcome all opposition. Let not anything stop us on this journey to heaven. But God, help us today to have such power and such faith in you that we'll march out and work in this kingdom, taking back what the enemy has stolen from us. Oh, God, raise up an army today that'll do what you've called them to do and be what you've called them to be. Oh, speak to our hearts this morning in a mighty way, God. Jesus, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Oh, you may be here this morning. You may be in a battle. You may be here this morning. You may be going through a trial. Every battle and every trial is only an opportunity for you to gain another victory. Come on. Every opposition of that enemy is only an opportunity for God to triumph over him and expose him openly to this world for what he is. Amen. Don't let that discourage you. But take unto you the whole armor of God and stand.
against the wiles of that devil. Others of you, friend, you haven't been doing much for God. You haven't been giving that kingdom of darkness very much trouble. But it's time to get on fire. It's time to get stirred up today. It's time to get busy and fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. God wants you to go back to your city, Pastor, and He wants you to take it for Jesus. He wants you to have a bigger church than the Masons have a lodge. Come on. Amen. He wants you to have a bigger church than the devil's crowd has. He wants you to have the anointing of God to work in that city and take souls out of the clutches of the hell and enter into the kingdom of God. That's what He wants. When you get up in the morning, He wants the devil to fear and tremble because your feet hit the floor. Come on, say amen. It's not time to cower down. It's time to march on under the power and win every victory. Some of you need God to fill you fresh with the Holy Ghost. Like He preached last night. I want us to come and gather around this altar. I want us to seek the Lord this morning. Won't you let Him move in your heart and your life today? Come on. Everybody that will, let's just come together. Talk to the Lord this morning. Hallelujah.